This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Jeff Swanhorst, Executive Vice President and Chief Credit Officer for AgriBank. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Global Harvest Initiative, a private sector policy voice that's forging solutions to feed the world. Together with its member companies and consultative partners from the conservation, international development, and university sectors, GHI is advancing key policies and practices that will help provide the food, feed, fiber, and fuel we need as our global population rises to 9.7 billion in the coming years. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with AgriBank's Jeff Swanhorst next. The Global Harvest Initiative's 2015 GAP report, Building Sustainable Bread Baskets, showcases the vital role of U.S. agriculture in providing domestic and global food security. The GAP report provides a special focus on the productivity of U.S. farmers and ranchers and the legacy of our conservation agriculture system. We must continue to grow solutions that conserve natural resources, adapt to consumer needs, and improve the economic vitality of producers and rural communities. The GAP report also shines a spotlight on Zambia, a country that is diversifying its agriculture production systems to build its capacity as a regional breadbasket in southern Africa. With the right policies, innovations and practices, we can improve productivity, waste less, and conserve our precious resources here at home and around the world. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. U.S. net farm income is in the midst of a pendulum swing from record highs just a few months before. AgriBank's Jeff Swanhorst says the expected 55% drop in net farm income this year is already evident on balance sheets of their customers. The performance of farmers out there and the borrowers, you know, the farm credit system really went into this cycle with very strong positions because of profitability, you know, prior to 2013. And this, this is having an impact on their financial positions and working capital positions. And I, I've got to say that it's really kind of all over the board. There are some, not many, that are really struggling right now because of the position this has put them in. And others, actually, if they're an operation that doesn't have much debt, uh, may still be showing profits. So it's, it's a whole range of outcomes uh, is what we see right now. What do you see in terms of applications already for 2016? Do you see an increase in demand for operating loans and other operation expenses? There are uh, expected to be operating loan volume increases in 2016 compared to 15 because generally there's been some erosion of working capital at most crop farmer operations. And then even beyond that, you know, we've had a very large crop that was just produced in the Corn Belt, and a lot of those farmers, I think more than normal, have got most of that grain that's not sold yet, so they're carrying that inventory uh, to a point where they think prices are going to go up, and of course that creates a little more borrowing in the short term as well. So, Jeff, if we look at the economic pendulum and where we were at the top of that cycle, where do you see us now, and, and how long do you see this pattern, especially for crop farmers, continuing? Is there any relief in sight? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. We do a lot of thinking about that very issue. From my perspective, I don't believe that we're going to be 
I'll call it, bailed out of this fairly difficult environment with a significant increase in commodity prices. At least I don't see it in the next three to five years. However, I have to preface that by saying, you know, we could have a, a major drought in a fairly large production area, either in North or South America, which, of course, would drive commodity prices higher. So those uh, sorts of things can happen. But again, from my perspective, you know, we've got information from USDA, as an example, 10-year forecasts of net farm income, et cetera. And really, that's just a projection. And the one thing we always know is that projections are always wrong. And it's either going to be better or worse than those projections. And this is really the point at which the American farmer is really going to show their, I'll call it entrepreneurship, to figure out ways to operate in an environment where the commodity prices are dramatically different than a few years ago. How do you see farmers adapting to this period where crop prices are close to break-even? Uh, the primary thing that I see them doing and I expect they're going to do is figure out all the various ways they can reduce their cost per bushel of production. Hopefully they've got good relationships with their landlords and can negotiate their rents to a more realistic number, depending on where they're at today. Uh, it might be curtailing machinery purchases versus the maintenance cost of keeping used equipment. Uh, it may be changing their fertility program for their crops. It may be changing some of the costs they have with buying seed genetics. Uh, and in addition to that, family living expenses are part of this equation, too, such that they're going to do things to keep their costs down. Do you see the financial picture that we have affecting farmers and what acres they plant to which crops? Yeah, that's that's another really good question. You know, of course, in the Corn Belt, corn and soybeans are really king. You know, there's a lot of other crops in the U.S., from wheat to sugar beets to various kinds of edible beans to, to uh, you know, if you're a little bit further south, it's rice, it's cotton, etc., and uh, I think in general, there's likely to be some shift to lower cost crops, which in general means that some shift away from corn to other crops, because corn obviously is the one where you have the biggest fertilizer bill, the seed costs are high, et cetera, et cetera. And again, in this overall effort to just keep total costs down, I would expect there's going to be some of that occurring. There's also going to be a push for efficiency, and we have learned over time that farm machines and seed technology and others can help producers be more efficient. It almost becomes a catch-22, doesn't it? The issue with technologies, whether it's in your seed application rates or whatever it might be that reduce your cost, cost per bushel of production, or it might be something in the seed genetics that raises your production levels, those things, you know, to some extent, and it's the way capitalism works is if you're an individual producer, you're going to do all those things to raise more bushels. But, again, the whole sector of agriculture with more bushels of production, prices go down. But that's the way, you know, what I'll call one of the closest forms to pure competition drives the marketplace. Would you expect further consolidation in this industry? I mean, back in the 80s, when we went through a crisis before, you had a larger number of farmers and a number of producers exited the business. And now we're down to a much smaller figure. Do you see further consolidation? 
I think there will be some further consolidation. I mean, as an example, you know, if I recall the number correctly, the average farmer is around 58 years old right now, so that means there's quite a few that are over 60 years old, and they've likely went through that 2010 to 2013 time frame with very strong profits. And if they're at a retirement age, you know, instead of, or maybe beyond a normal retirement age, those folks are likely to get out of the business because they don't see really an economic reason to stay with it, and they've, you know, they've built up a nest egg to live on. And so I think that's an example, and there was a lot of other examples where there will be more consolidation in agriculture. One of the concerns we have is the value of land, and I think you've seen some fluctuation in land values across the area that you serve at AgriBank. Would you expect to see those to continue, and what do you expect of land values? You know, when you look at agriculture, the I'll call it the gorilla in the room is the ag real estate. It's 80 85% of the assets that, that are in agriculture today is, is the land itself. And uh, we have seen uh, what I'll call a choppy marketplace, whereby we've seen areas that have continued to have increases in land values, you know, over the last year, and then there's other areas that are what I'll call more hardcore corn and soybean production areas where there have been some incremental reductions in land values during that same period. You know, and in general, what we've seen, at least in our agribank district, which is the the 15 states, is that, uh, you know, any area that's got a pretty heavy influence from cow-calf, which relates to pasture land, has been positive generally. Areas that have had, uh, you know, a lot of dairy production have been fairly positive yet, even though dairy prices now are down quite a bit. And then the other thing I'd say is that more areas that are like fringe of the Corn Belt area, where they're not kind of right in the center of the Corn Belt, they've continued to have some incremental price increases as well in the last year. Jeff, we're operating under a new farm bill, a new safety net. Direct payments are gone, and largely for crop farmers, it's the ARC and the PLC program as well as crop insurance. Let's talk about ARC and PLC. Do you see this as an adequate safety net to guide us through these times, or will producers have to take some extra means, either by market strategy or other, to further protect their risk? The Farm Bill, which you mentioned, related to ARC and PLC uh, uh, programs, you know, and I'll speak specific to corn and soybeans, it's Somewhere north of 90% of all corn and soybean acres were signed up for the ARC program, with, which, uh, which is, of course, different than the PLC program. And the way I look at the, the ARC program especially is it's really a, a transition payment whereby the program is structured that, you know, payouts, if there are any, are uh, one of the components that, that uh, drives that is the, the last five-year average price, and then there's some Olympic averaging process that goes on. But the point I'm really trying to get to is is that it essentially, if prices stay down like this, is going to give the producer a little bit of income that gives them time to make the expense transitions they need to make to get to where it's profitable or at least break even. And that's really, 
you know, the way I look at the way the farm bill is structured, and it's a very positive thing. You know, and beyond that, as far as, as the marketing goes, uh, farmers will have to do their best at marketing. You know, it may involve, you know, setting the futures portion at a different time than, than the basis is set for that final cash price because, you know, those two components of the final cash price are the best at different times of the year. And, uh, you know, every 10, 20, 30 cents in the, in the price of a bushel of corn, when you sell it, is a very big thing these days. So when we think about uh, obtaining an operating loan from the data that is available for farmers today, so much of an ocean of data available from their operations, uh, what are the things that they may have to do now? Will there be extra work that they'll have to offer or extra information that will have to be offered to be able to get operating loans? You know, in general, the way that farm credit looks at this is producers that have done their homework and that understand their situation and are making changes, whether it's their cost of production or something in their fertility program or whatever it might be, uh, those are the producers that, you know, are the ones that you want to stay with and work through the process with. And, you know, it, it may in some situations involve a farmer deciding that there's some of the cash rented land he has is too high priced and may not be something he cash rents going forward if he can't get the rents negotiated down. So there's there's just a whole range of different things that producers have to do in this in this you know environment we're in today. Is the farm program that we have adequate for producers to expect to be able to get operating loans and function? their business the crop insurance program we haven't really talked about that a lot that's another piece of the puzzle here and it's been a very favorable program in the past for you know protecting the downside for producers but again as we all know prices are set for corn and soybeans one year at a time and so in the month of february if prices for fall delivery are low let's say in february of 16 we're going to have low prices for crop insurance. I think it's minimally okay for the producer, but it's surely not going to stop a lot of negotiation and a lot of adjustment in cost structures to get farmers back to where, you know, prices of 375 a bushel are okay for them. Is AgriBank and is the lending industry concerned about some of the challenges that have been offered and that may still be offered toward crop insurance? Uh, yes, it's clearly a concern for us. You know, of course, there's been a recent effort to reduce uh, dollars uh, for the crop insurance program that I think has been alleviated now. And uh, that, that program is extremely important to crop production agriculture, which is a very material part of all of agriculture. And so any any changes or reductions in funding for that would would have a, a material negative impact on farmers right now. There is much call for a reform of tax policy in the country, and still agriculture and small business and others are waiting to see if the tax extenders might be included before Congress uh, leaves town for the year. What challenge does it offer for operations in the lack of having some of those tax extenders 
uh, on a year-to-year basis? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the things right now that that uh, is going on in agriculture is there's uh, lower levels of income, clearly, that have to be sheltered by one-time write-offs of capital expenditures. But beyond that, uh, whether it's the machinery dealerships or the farmers themselves, whether they're crop or livestock and their machinery needs, having certainty in tax policy is always very favorable so that you're, you really know all of the, I mean, there's about 5,000 variables that farmers have to deal with where there's uncertainty. And if tax policy is another one, it just adds more complexity and issues to deal with that are not easy to address. Jeff, all eyes are on the Fed this month to see what happens with interest rates and if they finally start to make a move north. What happens if the Fed starts raising interest rates? Does that affect agriculture? Yes, it absolutely affects agriculture. You know, it's my impression is right now that the uh, December Fed meeting, it's more likely than not that there will be an increase in the Fed funds rate probably by a quarter of 1%, which is not much, but it's it's an increase. And in general, that's going to drive, uh, if a farmer has a variable rate loan, it's likely to go up a little bit because of that. Uh, but beyond that, one of the real positives that we have right now in agriculture, you know, and I know a lot of it, is, especially in the farm credit system, is most of the machinery financing and uh, ag real estate loans are on fixed rates today, which is a very favorable thing, such as if rates go up, it's not going to directly impact those fixed rate loans. Conversely, for new machinery purchases or uh, ag real estate loans, if it's a new loan as an example, or variable rates for operating loans, if the Fed does continue to raise rates up beyond December, it's going to have a negative impact on agriculture, clearly. Jeff Swanhurst, we want to thank you so much for taking time to spend with us here on Open Mic. It is an open mic, and Jeff, you have the last word. Uh, just to say thanks for the opportunity to visit about the issues, and uh, AgriBank and the farm credit system, we're all about agriculture, lending, and rural communities, and uh, that's what we focus on, and because of that, it's good to have an opportunity to visit about these issues with folks in the audience today. A big thank you to AgriBank's Jeff Swanhorst, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Global Harvest Initiative, a private sector policy voice that is forging solutions to feed the world. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.